Lebrea. Welcome to a special edition of the Lebrea Purveya. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. This week I am not covering episode 5, though I did catch it this past week. Because of some conflicts, I'm covering episodes 5 and 6 next week and dropping this bonus to hold you over. So what makes this bonus episode so special? Well, it's going to be all questions. Many questions we asked from past episodes, but never really got clear answers. And there's also some brand new questions in here. We're going back quite a way, so some of these might seem pretty elementary, like the first one. A skyscraper is a lot of rubble, so where did it go? Now we learn a little bit about this over time. Things fell from the sky and they spread around quite a bit, so it's not strange that it's not all in the clearing. But we do have the Peterson Automotive Museum, which is doing most of the work for identifying the clearing. That's the big red and silver building made of all the squiggles. If the Department of Homeland Security can recover fossils of a fallen whole plane as they did in Season 1, Episode 6, then will they find all of this stuff in 2021 La Brea? What will an archaeologist do when they come across a cell phone, for example? Or is this all being kept secret by the Department of Homeland Security? Coming from Episode 2, the wedding ring that was lost in the hole appeared in the present. Does that mean that the camels that Scott saved did not appear in the present as fossilized remains? This seems like a good time to bring up an observation that many sciencey people had online. Carbon dating only works on once-living things. Plants, for example. Anything that absorbed carbon while it was living and stopped once it died. So, what was old Dr. Shen up to when he said that he could carbon date this ring? Do you think he was trying to pawn a diamond ring because he had to pay off a bunch of gambling debts? I guess it's lucky for Gavin that the Department of Homeland Security took it from Shen, huh? And then the DHS says that it's 10,000 years old. Do you think that they tested it, or they just knew that it was 10,000 years old because of the Mojave sinkhole? Does the Department of Homeland Security seem more sinister and shady because of this? If we throw out their dating as unreliable, then the next source that will tell us that they're in 10,000 BC is Scott. In episode 2, he suspected that the camels he saved from the tar pits were the same camels that were discovered at the La Brea tar pits in the future and were carbon dated back to 10,000 BC. So, were the camels not found? Did they lead a rich life not falling into tar pits? Another question I had in episode 2 is... Why is Gavin having visions? And really, why was Gavin having visions? There's some explanation about the proximity to the holes. They say the same thing for Ella. When she's near one of the holes, she starts having visions. But I struggle a little bit with this explanation. So at one point, he's flying across the Mojave, and a hole opens. And then he has a vision. Years later, a hole opens in La Brea, and he also has visions. But what about all the years in between where he was under so much stress from seeing these visions, so much so that he drank himself to loneliness? A jokey question that I asked back at around episodes four or five was, how is Scott's therapist staying open without him? That guy is wound tight and scared of so much. Okay, I was being a little funny with this question, but... It does make me wonder why we don't get more Ty and Scott time. If I was Scott, I would be following Ty around all the time trying to get some free therapy. He gives it to Eve all the time, so why wouldn't he do the same for Scott? 
granted, with Ty's brain tumor, if I were him, I don't know that I would want to be so bogged down with trying to figure out Scott's massive issues of anxiety and fear. Plus, I guess Scott has pot. But much like Sam and his prescription medication, how long before the weed is all smoked up? As a small note, this actually happens in Season 2, Episode 5. But I wonder about how the show treats anxiety. Like, he overcame it in one heroic moment, but will he struggle with it again? I also question, like, why is Lucas trying to just bully bravery into Scott? Is that a good tactic? I don't think it is. I still wonder how the nation is coping with the tragedy of the sinkhole. I expect there to be news reports, celebrities probably fell in there, and to this day, I'm still stuck on this. I would bet that it could be, like, season 8, before they even entertain the national story of losing tens of thousands of people to sinkholes. But it could have a place, for sure. Like the 4400, or that show The Returned. When these people come back, will they be treated differently? Will they be, like, displaced people? Or will they be celebrated? And I have to admit, I would love it if they just happened upon a celebrity one day in 10,000 BC, like Ice Cube cooking a pig around some corner, or one of the Olsen twins getting a tan outside of the Lazarus building. That would be great. Are all of the holes on the west coast of America? So far, we've seen holes in Seattle, Mojave, La Brea, and at the Hollywood sign. So you could venture to say that California is the hub But at the very least, we can determine that the West Coast seems like a hole magnet. Why is that? I know in the West there are some expansive pastures where holes could open up, but you could say the same thing about the Midwest too. A nice sinkhole in Kansas or Nebraska? That could be far less damaging than the densely populated Los Angeles, California. The California cluster could be a proximity thing. They would be closest to the Lazarus Building hub. But I'd love to hear about another region. And don't forget, the whole world is out there, too. Are these holes popping up abroad? We still don't know how Paris people know English. I mentioned this in a previous episode of the podcast, but even a bad reason is a reason. Not only is the question, how do they know English, but it's also, how do they adopt English as their primary language? Will fossils from 10,000 BC have English words on them? Answer these questions or don't bring it up. But you did bring it up, La Brea. You brought it up in episode four. And since then, nothing. Did the Lazarus people teach English to the natives so that they could communicate with them? And if so, how many Lazarus people are there? I am open to the explanation. They speak English so the show is easier to understand for the audience. But again, you brought it into the narrative, La Brea. So you owe us an explanation. I wondered earlier in season one how Lucas planned to get his $250,000 of heroin home. But now I really want to know about his plan to get the gold back. Like it's heavy and really obvious. So this was a question that I came up with towards the end of season one. You remember how Scott buried the heroin and Lucas got mad until they found gold? Well, I don't know the answer, but what would happen to heroin that was buried in the ground for years? I would imagine at a certain point it would become useless, but it's really hard to find details on how long heroin lasts outside of the human body. But the gold, that's another story. How could they let the Confederate gold thread go nowhere? 
if you wanted to show that people were coming from various time periods, I think you could have done it without gold. A Confederate uniform, a gun from another time period, even a kooky man in the woods who asks Ty why he's not enslaved, which would be rude and vulgar, but it would be something. And where is the gold now? Did it go up in Lucas's makeshift home when he and Mary Beth got trapped? Ever since Mary Beth died, Lucas seems much more centered on helping other people rather than making money, and that's fine, but the money still exists. So who has it? And what could they do with it? Yes, we can accept that gold has no financial value in 10,000 BC, but it means something. Otherwise, they wouldn't have introduced it at all. And a big one. If we believe the Fort family, then that means Silas didn't murder Eddie, and someone else is running around murdering people with electrocution in 10,000 BC. What happened to this story? It's one thing to divert speculation away from Silas, but to let it just die there with, it must be somebody else? With the Lazarus building, we know that there's more technology than expected, but who's going around tasing people to death and why? What threat did our hunting whiz Eddie pose? What threat did Jonathan from the Mojave Expedition pose? To abandon this thread for about seven or eight episodes is almost inexcusable, but I do think it'll come back eventually. We just have to avenge Eddie. Everybody loved Eddie. Now let's talk about Scott's barcoded cow that he found towards the middle end of season one. Where's the cow now? I hope that it's still alive, but let's get something about that barcode soon too, huh? Why would somebody put a barcode on a cow? Well, I guess it's the same reason you would barcode anything, for reference and for tracking. So who's doing that, and why are they doing it? Some fans have speculated that it's tied to a science experiment, which is very likely, but I wonder. The barcode on the skin wouldn't last very long in terms of decay, so the experiment isn't tracking the cow through time. And did the cow escape the Lazarus building, or did they release it? And how sneaky do you have to be as a cow to escape captivity? There have been stories of cows, plural, escaping slaughterhouses, but that's generally when the cows are in a big group and they are a little unwieldy, or one gets away because the other cows are distracting the person who's kind of wrangling them. If we're leaning towards the latter, then that means the Lazarus building must have a lot more cows that they're working with. Additionally, sinkhole skeptics online called out the fact that a cow couldn't produce milk without a calf, so it would be best served as cooked. But if it is producing milk, where's the calf? Is the calf the secret force that is running the Lazarus building? Also, who ended up getting to keep that plane that Gavin flew? You know, over the hole, not into the hole? We would expect that the Department of Homeland Security has the plane. But if we think about that, I'm going to descend into wondering what is happening in 2021 and how Dr. Nathan is doing and how Ella's art show went. And Ione Sky, how's she doing without her brother, Gavin, and niece, Izzy? She's probably so sad. But truly, if they have the plane, I guess it's only a matter of time before they have a chance to fly it into a new hole. At the end of last season, I asked the question, is Silas Gavin's grandfather? I suppose that Dr. Clark could be Silas's daughter. You can work with family on science experiments, right? But she didn't seem all that happy to hear his name in her first appearance episode. I would think that she would say something like, Dad? When she heard his name. As a sneak preview to season two, episode five, 
Dr. Clark says that Gavin was born in the future, and then they went back to 10,000 BC, and then she returned to the 80s to try and fix the sinkholes. So I think this means that Silas could well be Gavin's grandfather. It's just that Silas is so damn untrustworthy. The last question I have for this all questions episode is, how did they get the materials to build the Lazarus building? And I know that this sounds like a dumb question, but I'm going to tell you it's actually a good question, and you don't have to believe me. It takes a lot of people and a lot of resources to build a 30-story skyscraper. So did they just happen to have all the supplies dropped into a sinkhole? There's no construction equipment. There's no construction equipment nearby or anything like that. So how did they construct the building? And let's say, like, somebody clogs a toilet in there. How do they get a plumber to come and fix it? Or do they have a plumber that lives in the building? All these little things make me wonder, what is happening in this building? And I can't wait until we get in there and find out. I know that the show isn't going to serve me the minutia that I'm looking for, like how they find a plumber. But filling in some gaps would be pretty nice. I'll be very disappointed if there's just, like, five people in the big building. Before leaving you this week, I do want to address something that's not really a question. And it's something that I know you have learned about me over time. I really miss Billy and Tony. And I also miss the traffic cop. I know there's a scope to how many people that you can have in a story and how much story you can put into a show. But... It does make me wonder what their initial purpose was. Like, did Billy and Tony just exist to fix and supply a Jeep so that people could drive back and forth to Topanga? They were a biracial gay couple, and I actually enjoyed their relationship much more than anything related to the Harris family. I liked how they tried to provide guidance to Lily as she tried to figure out who she was with and without Veronica. And the traffic cop. I mean, she was the first person to fall in the hole. That we saw, anyway. So, she's kind of been there the longest. What's she up to? And again, I know I mentioned it already, but... The cow. Where's the cow? Let's see the cow. I know it's probably, like, not efficient for the budget to show us a cow every episode in the background. But, where's the cow? Show us the cow. Or at least show us everybody eating burgers and steak. Moo! So that kind of covers this bonus episode of the La Brea Purvea. I appreciate your listening, and I thank you for giving me a pass to cover episodes five and six next podcast episode. As I mentioned, I did see episode five, and there were some goofy revelations and some silly happenings, and I can't wait to bring them to you next episode. If you have questions like I do, then you can send them to shout at yallheard.me. That is the email address for the parent podcast to this one, Y'all Heard. I read the emails, so I will be happy to filter out all the La Brea ones and work them into the show. Additionally, if you have any theories, tips, ideas, or comments, feel free to send them my way. And if you'd rather contribute by phone, you can call 570-POD-WAD-1. That's 570-763-9231. So that you can leave a voicemail of whatever you want that's related to the NBC adventure sci-fi drama La Brea. Until next time, have a great week. (laughs) 